Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. The following episode contains explicit details of sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Ted was the assistant headmaster. He was our soccer coach. He was our lacrosse coach. Um, and he ran the Boy Scouts. This is Tim Ehrlich, a 50-year-old bariatric surgeon looking back on his childhood. As a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, Tim was methodically, relentlessly sexually abused, along with dozens of other boys, by a middle school teacher named Thad Alton at the Pingree School, an elite New Jersey day school. This is a story about the worst sort of secret, the kind that festers and grows over the course of a lifetime until it becomes unbearable, impossible to hold. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. In June of 2017, Tim, along with 20 other men, bankers, lawyers, real estate developers, a social worker, a high school principal, psychologist, approached the Pingree School. They called themselves the Pingree Survivors, And they were looking for some kind of justice, if justice was even possible. On a fall afternoon, Tim and I spent hours and hours on the phone. Me hunched over my recording equipment in my son's old playroom. My son is now a college freshman. But during those hours, I looked around the room at football posters, plastic bins of Legos, dented, abandoned boxes of board games, Scrabble, Monopoly, shoots and ladders. And I thought about what it is to be a boy. 10, 11, 12 all knobby knees, skinny shoulder blades, and downy cheeks, 
still a child, just beginning to stretch and yearn to be bigger, older. So my mom is from Stuyvesantown. My grandmother's family was all from Vienna. And almost all of them, except for her, her mom, and her three sisters, so my great aunts and my great-grandmother, immigrated to the United States, but the rest of the family was all lost in the Holocaust. Tim is the fourth out of six kids, part of a Jewish family who moved to suburban New Jersey and were fortunate enough to be able to send their kids to private school. The bucolic campus of Pingree's lower school in Short Hills is about as far away from his mom's New York City's Stuyvesant town or his dad's southwestern Georgia, as you can imagine. It's a place that looks safe, cosseted by manicured privilege, as if nothing bad could ever happen there. I know this because I was also a student at the Pingree School during that time. I knew many of these boys. I even dated one of them when I was in seventh grade. This is Tim's story, but imagine it amplified by so many boys in this one school, and then again in schools all over America. Just in the past few years, Horace Mann, Ramaz, Taft, Hotchkiss, St. Paul's, and other institutions charged with the education and protection of their students have been embroiled in controversies as the truth tumbles out, as truth tends to do. Tim entered Pingree in the fourth grade on the heels of his older brother, Andy. Andy at that time was in seventh grade. And Andy was the king of the hill. He was captain of the lacrosse team, buying for student body president. So when I started at Pingree, my mom was like, you know, you need to meet Ted Alton, you need to be a Boy Scout. And automatically, you know, coming from a big family like that, all the teachers know you, everybody at Pingree knows you, you're little Timmy Ehrlich, you know, and that's how people still call me that. And it was kind of nice because the older girls, you know, that Andy, you know, was friends with, you know, were talking to me and the older guys were cool to me and it was great. And I started with the Boy Scouts in fourth grade, when usually it was probably like a fifth or sixth grade kind of thing. So my mom, you know, introduced me to Ted Alton and gave me Ted Alton on a golden platter. One of the things that struck me again and again in all of the descriptions of Ted Alton was how charismatic and respected and how much he was considered to be this kind of golden teacher and also that he was everywhere. That, to me, was one of the most chilling aspects of this, was that it's almost as if he designed a life, or not almost as if, he. it seems like he did design a life in which he would be present in every possible way for the boys that he was going after. I didn't have him to, uh, as a teacher until um, sixth grade. He was a sixth grade uh, like social studies teacher, um, but I had him for you know soccer and lacrosse and obviously Boy Scouts. Ted was our quote-unquote tripping counselor. So he was in charge of taking us on these amazing, I mean, I dream about these excursions through the, the woods and waters of Maine. And we would go whitewater canoeing on the Penobscot and the Allagash and the Saco River and go running down bluffs at the Saco and and see buried villages and Flagstaff. And honestly, that's what makes this all, again, so gray, is that they were probably some of the best summers of my life. In 2016, the Pingree survivors approached the school in search of answers. They wanted the school to take responsibility for the history that had so traumatized them. Pingree's lawyers retained a private security firm to conduct an independent investigation. 
The cover page of the ensuing report carries a warning that the material is sensitive, personal, and graphic, and not intended for children. Quote, The evidence demonstrates that between 1972 and 1978, while employed by Short Hills Country Day and Pingree, Thad Alton sexually assaulted at least 27 students. Alton's behavior permeated multiple facets of the former students' lives, since some former students simultaneously attended Pingree, Camp Wakanaki, and were part of Boy Scout Troop No. 64 that regularly met on school grounds. In a number of different locations, including his office, at school during the school day, after school, in the evenings and on weekends, the school gymnasium and the girls' locker room, the home of his in-laws, his own school-owned home at times when his wife and children were present, the home of a former student, on Boy Scout camping trips, his summer home in Martha's Vineyard, his truck, and Camp Waganaki, including on camping trips and inside his own cabin. In particular, the sexual contact that occurred inside Alton's office and elsewhere included Alton's touching of students' naked penises with his hands, the students' touching of Alton's naked penis with their hands at Alton's request, Alton's placement of students' hands on his naked penis to masturbate him, Alton masturbating in front of students while encouraging students to masturbate, the mutual touching of students' naked penises, Alton often invited groups of boys into his office as well and had boys touch each other's penises and then coaxed them to perform oral sex on him and or each other. In addition, Alton used heterosexual pornographic magazines and movies to entice the boys to touch their own penises, those of each other, and that of Alton. For my mom, here's my mom, you know, six kids, workaholic husband, was never, ever involved in my life, never coached any of my little league or anything. Um, I didn't really know him growing up. And so for me, Ted Alton was sort of a savior. Because here's this masculine, outdoorsy guy, lacrosse coach, soccer coach. For my mom, it was, uh, he's a father figure. You know, and, I, and it was probably about sixth grade. And she said to me, she said, I know Ted Alton. He, she, she knew that something was going on. She's not a fucking idiot. She knew that, that Ted Alton, you know, was doing something with boys. But she said to me, she said, Ted Alton will never touch you because he doesn't like Jewish boys. But so it was more important for her to have him in my life as a father figure, even though she knew that he was probably, you know, doing something sexual with these boys. And it really didn't sink into me like 100% until last year of how she sort of navigated that situation. At the point when she said that to you, that he wouldn't touch Jewish boys, had he already made an approach to you? Oh, yeah. No, I'd already been two years as a Boy Scout. And I was like, yeah, Mom. <laughs> you know, okay. No, he'd already made his mark. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. This is a story at its core that is about the failure of adults. Or, in the words of Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. What did Tim's mother know? What did other mothers or fathers suspect? A question that emerges again and again. How could this abuse have gone on right under the noses of so many grown-ups? Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm a short Jewish kid, and this, this towering 6'3", big guy who was in the military, but with a big smile, and uh, he was known for his, uh, his bear hugs. That's how he got the nickname Bear. But I remember the pants he wore. He always wore these sort of like polyester pants, which we would laugh at nowadays, you know, nowadays, and blue shirts and a black tie and, you know, a certain smell. When Tim is in sixth grade, he runs away from home a couple of times. And instead of getting on a train or a bus and going to New York, he calls Ted Alton. And Ted calls Tim's parents and talks him into going back home. And then in Woodshop, I made him a, a plaque that said, thanks. And he kept that in his office, you know, for all the, you know, you know, probably for years. Probably still has it for all I know. And how fucked up is that? And, and I guess in some ways he was kind of a first love. Maybe the father figure who crossed the line, but we all felt loved by him. And that's why no one said anything, because we don't want him to get hurt. And we also got something out of it. It was There was a, a pleasure to it. Look, I had a, I had a crush in sixth grade. But on the flip side, I was also 
being gratified by Ted Alton and other boys um, because of the Boy Scouts. And it was very confusing, extremely confusing. There's a psychological theory called imprinting, in which a young animal learns the characteristics of a desirable mate. Just think of ducklings following their mother. There are key moments, vulnerable moments, when this imprinting can occur. And when it does, it can have lasting, even permanent consequences. Tim hates this theory, which was mentioned to him by a therapist he quickly fired. And I get it. He doesn't want to think of himself as permanently branded, altered forever by the abuse of Ted Alton. But what is the sexuality of a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy? In many religious traditions, 13 is the age when manhood first begins. What does it do to a psyche to have powerful sexual feelings triggered before a boy is ready and in the hands of a skilled predator? It was an honor to be invited into Ted's tent, and there would be other boys there. And it all started out very tame as games, truth or dare, and then it became, you know, uh, more dares and less truths. And what happened is it sort of spawns these relationships with these other boys, and for years, these other boys do things without Ted around. I slept with multiple sets of brothers, not at the same time, but a brother my age and, you know, one kid my age and his older brother. One set of brothers who slept with each other. So it's really, really dark and dirty, and it's the, the conversation that nobody wants to have. So having all that be so knitted together with love for this, you know, seemingly loving a father figure, and then everybody else who's in this kind of chosen band of boys, I mean, it would be impossible to be anything other than just horrendously confused. One of the things that I found in in digging into the material was the way in which Ted said to many of the boys, this is our secret. And there was some combination both of loyalty to him and of almost a kind of implicit threat of no one can know about this, but also the potent combination of I've got the report in front of me, um, language like reasons for the lack of reporting by former students, right? You add in the, in the mix of, um, for me and some of the guys I know, you know, these really these deep feelings of loneliness, because again, what leads us into Ted's hand, but, you know, an absent father, you know, I mean, I, mean, I came from a really large family and you know, who had time for me. I mean, thank God for my grandparents, um, but I never felt loved in my house. You know, I don't think my parents ever said that to me. And that's, that's what he gave you. He showed us love. Here's another quote from the report. It is a well-known and well-documented fact that child victims of abuse, especially sexual abuse, rarely report that abuse while they're still children. In other words, even if they are able to hold on to it or remember it, it seems like there's just this feeling of responsibility and shame and so many complex feelings that are all tied up in it. Well, I think I spent... 30-plus years of my life, 35-plus uh, years, really thinking that it was my own fault, that I thought this out, that I needed a father figure, that I enjoyed it, that I wanted it. And then there's also, to be honest with the boys, there's two reasons why, you know, boys never talk about this. And it's because, number one, you're going to be accused of being gay. And number two... You know, you're gonna, they're gonna think you're gonna be a child molester one day. And in 1974 or 75 or 76, or whenever this is, 
being gay is essentially, you know, your death sentence. But that is just not going to happen. And you get in your 40s and your 50s, and you've internalized all this stuff. And for me, if I didn't deal with it, I probably wouldn't be alive right now. When Tim finishes the eighth grade, his family falls on hard financial times, which precipitates a move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But Ted Alton had already done all the damage he would ever do. By the time the boys hit puberty, he was kind of done with them. By eighth grade, Tim had aged out. Everybody deals with trauma in a different way. Some people turn to sports, some to drugs and alcohol. Tim just kept himself busy with his studies. He graduated at the top of his class in high school, got into a great university. He kept busy with frat life, government, Phi Beta Kappa. He eventually went to medical school and chose surgery, one of the most difficult of all residencies. He was involved in everything because if he had free time, if he was alone with his thoughts, he would go to a very dark place. There's moments when there was a holiday or vacation, I'd have a hard time um, because I would just think too much. And I, and I even to this day, I'm, I don't do well by myself. So that's how I sort of coped, which, you know, I think it's better than most when I look at some of the very high-achieving guys. Uh, but then there's, then there's also a group of guys. There's two guys who were teenagers who killed themselves. They killed themselves when they were teenagers, or you mean they, they killed themselves later? No, they killed themselves uh, when they were teenagers. Correct. Tim embarks on his life as a quote-unquote successful adult at least on the outside. He has girlfriends, dates women, enjoys sex with women. Eventually, he gets married and has three children. But there are instances in which he finds himself attracted to men. Because here's the thing. Tim is gay. You know, I always had attraction to women. I always had long-term girlfriends. You know, there was a part of me that was attracted to men. After I moved... I never acted on it all through college. It uh, wasn't until the end of medical school. I had one incident and then had such negative feelings about it afterwards. Felt so much guilt and shame and nausea, to be honest with you. I don't think I vomited, but I just felt so shitty that I didn't do anything again for years. Tim, did you at the time recognize that your really negative, almost visceral physical response was? directly tied to that childhood abuse? Not at all. Not at all. I, I still think, you know, my brain, when I thought about Ted and the boy, I thought about that, man, I'm a, I was lonely. I was looking for a father figure. I enjoyed the sexual gratification. And, and that was the script that I told myself that I still probably tell myself. But maybe that was a better, a safer place, that narrative than the reality you know, in 1984 that I'm gay and that I was sexually abused and my family fucking sucks. So for me, <laughs> I think that narrative for me was very self-protective. And um, I, don't, I, didn't, I don't mean to laugh, but no, I think that that's true. And, and there's something really powerful and interesting about adaptation, you know, being able to be adaptive under even really, really extreme circumstances. Tim goes through the motions. He digs into his bariatric practice. He and his wife welcome two girls into the world. And then his son is born. But there's something about having a boy that really um, kind of rocked my world. I remember when he was born, and that really 
led to more feelings in my life of thoughts about me as a boy and Ted and the Boy Scouts and my adventures and you know what happened to me and I mean look I always I always knew what happened you know I didn't I'm not one of these people who said you know I never thought about it and boom you know I read about it and it all put it back to me I, I knew every day it happened it was, I probably thought about it every single day of my life but when he was born it really became pervasive at the time Tim lived in Westport Connecticut Westport is not too far from me I know it well if you look up Affluent suburb in the dictionary, Westport's picture would appear. Well, not really, but you know what I mean. It's a place where moms in Lululemon yoga pants push strollers down Main Street and tanned fit dads take their kids to jujitsu and tennis lessons on weekends. A place where if there is some aspect of your world that is secret or painful, you might feel like you're the only one. Everybody looks like they're living their best life. My point is, Tim tried really hard to wrap up his secrets and put them away. I got into therapy in 2008, right around Thanksgiving, really triggered by marital problems, work problems, everything sort of coming to a head. And I was sort of a ticking time bomb. I couldn't keep the, the sort of house of cards I built. I couldn't keep it together any longer. I was really really struggling. If I hadn't have gotten into therapy and really done the work that I needed to do, um, I probably would not be alive today. And I know that. I know that. But either I was going to kill myself or I was going to run off the road driving to New York at 3 o'clock in the morning to meet somebody to sleep with them. Uh, after working a 12-hour day and putting my kids to bed and such. We're going to pause for a moment. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from The Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. 
Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Even though Tim felt comfortable with his therapist, he didn't talk about the sexual abuse by Thad Alton. He was trying to keep it all going. His marriage, his family, his practice, his attraction to men. And I, and I was in a lot of denial, and I, didn't, and I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to deal with the problems at hand. I didn't really see that the two were, that they were all related. But obviously, you know, they were. It's just, it was really hard to admit that. It really wasn't until, like, much, much later that I realized that I liked being with men because I liked being with men. It had nothing to do with the fact that, that I was molested as a child. Tim's therapist asks him to create a timeline of the abuse. The writing unleashes his memory and also begins to give him a sense of purpose. So every Friday, I started taking off, and I would sit at the Westport Library, and I was basically writing for therapy, and it led me to sort of finding people. Well, let me think, well, man, that kid was next to me in the tent, and this guy I went to camp with, and, you know, wow, where where are they all now? And so I accumulated a list of 50 or 60 names. Um, half were other children that I knew for a fact were abused. Some were kids I suspected. The rest were, were parents who I felt probably knew. And then there were teachers. It was extremely cathartic to put it on paper. And I started reaching out to people. I traveled and I went to visit some of these guys that I grew up with to connect, to bond with them, to talk about this. Because I, I've been thinking about this in my brain for so long. It's like a, like a tape cassette that's on a, a loop. Finally, I just wanted to be able to talk to somebody about it who was there to validate it because I thought I was going crazy. So I was starting to really be aware and read about stories. I'm somebody who hates picking up the phone to call a person who may not want to hear from me, which is why I'm a novelist, a memoirist, and now a podcaster, and not, say, an investigative journalist. So when I think about what Tim did next, I'm pretty blown away by the courage it took. I think you will be, too. But that's what sort of led me on the path, and I did talk to a few of these guys, some of them who uh, told me to fuck off, uh, to lose my number. One of the guys has become like a brother to me, like one of my dearest friends in my life, who, when I actually ended up uh, hiring this law firm, this one friend you know, basically told me, he said, look, I'm, I'm proud of you, but I can't talk to you anymore. I, I don't want this in my life. Good luck to you, but do not ever call me. And it was hurtful, but I also knew that I needed to go forward and do this. And fast forward a year later, and he and his brother are both plaintiffs, and and it has been the best thing that he has ever done in his life. Um, and I'm so proud of him. So the Pingree survivors, the band of boys who had once been methodically groomed by Ted Alton, 
become a band of men hell-bent on transcending their history of abuse. And it all started with Tim, reaching out, picking up the phone, trying to make contact. You know, I remember I was out in Napa uh, at a friend's wedding, and I took the time out to drive down uh, to Monterey to have drinks with one of these guys. And that was the first time I'd seen him since we were children. I had actually, you know, paid, like, peoplefinders.com or something like that to figure out where he lived prior to that. And I was, I guess I was sort of cyber-stalking these people. Um, but I called him up said, hey, look, I'm going to be in California. Um, I want to come down there, and, and I want to grab a beer. And that's exactly what we did. And uh, quickly, I don't know how it started, um, but I brought it up. I said, do you ever think about what it was like when we were kids or the effect it had in your life? And and that became two, three, four, five, I don't even remember, of alcohol and tears and hugs and a little bit of laughter. Tim continues his detective work. His children are wondering why their father is all of a sudden taking trips, spending late nights talking on the phone behind closed doors. So finally he decides that he's going on a reconnaissance mission. And he returns to Pingree, the scene of the crime, with his oldest daughter, Zoe. I took her one weekday during, uh, it must have been on some school, school break, and we went down to Pingree to, I wanted to go look at old yearbooks to remember names and faces and teachers that, that I couldn't remember. So we were driving down there, and I said, well, I'm doing a little research. When I went to the school, I told them the story that my brother had died, which was true, and I wanted to find some old photos uh, of my brother at his time at Pingree. It was a really important time for him. So that was my excuse to get into the school library. And Zoe and I, my, that's my oldest daughter, we went down to the school. Yeah, I hadn't been there since, you know, uh, the sixth grade or seventh grade or whatever it was. And uh, it was really, really uncomfortable. But uh, they had renovated the school, so at least his office was gone. I didn't have to see that. But there were the, the cross fields and the soccer fields and the building and this, this, this sweet little wonderful school um, where all this awfulness happened. Tim begins to understand that Ted Alton's abuse is not limited to a small group of boys. The yearbook photographs jog his memory, and he reaches out to another boy, now grown man, who he remembers from that time. The two men reconnect, and for the first time, Tim hears and understands that there were adults, many adults, not only his parents, but teachers, administrators, board members who had suspected Ted Alton of abuse and done nothing. Once Alton's behavior had become impossible to ignore, a meeting of prominent fathers was called for in a board member's home, and a psychiatrist was brought in to advise them. And we actually have notes from the meeting, and basically the psychiatrist, his recommendation to these fathers was that basically to get this guy out of the school and not discuss it and just move forward, but basically deny the whole thing. Don't put the kids through the trauma of a trial. Remember earlier when I said that this story is ultimately about the failure of adults? Well, this is even more than a case of good men doing nothing. These men, and they did all seem to be men, knew they needed to get rid of Alton. So they passed the trash, in Tim's words, and write Alton a glowing letter of recommendation to another New Jersey prep school, essentially making Alton somebody else's problem, and not seeming to consider that this would mean he would continue to abuse kids elsewhere. 
And these were dads who, fathers who worked on Wall Street, who were the CFO of you know, huge companies. And I think that there was a part where they wanted to, let's just put this to bed. Nobody wants to be the father who is working while their son is off in the woods being abused. Here's where a very strange coincidence enters the picture. While I was working on this story, I happened to run into a man who had been a teacher at Pingree long ago. And, by the way, this never happens. I can count on one hand the number of times I've run into anyone I had known at Pingree in my entire adult life. It just doesn't happen. This guy was well aware of the controversy and the 21 survivors. I asked him if he had ever suspected anything, and here's what he said. We knew, he said. We all knew that something very wrong was going on in Ted Alton's office. I debate about whether to tell Tim this because it's just such a slap in the face. But I have to. I have to tell him. Well, you know, you just gave me chills and 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 I don't really let this stuff get me angry anymore, but this is what makes me so angry. So angry because we know they all knew. Uh, we know the athletic director who hired Ted to be his coach, who, who owned the camp at Waganaki. We know he knew. Fathers spoke to him about this, but nobody did anything. Camp Waganaki is perhaps the darkest part of a very dark story. Waganaki was owned by Pingree's director of athletics, award-winning soccer coach, biology teacher. In fact, he had been my biology teacher and responsible for bringing in some of the largest donations in the school's history. Yeah, so for four years, um, from fourth to, you know, I don't know, fourth to seventh grade, Summers. I and my two brothers spent at uh, Camp Waganaki in East Waterford, Maine, uh, which was owned by, uh, you know, Pingree Athletic Director. You know, so you have this like, wonderful, rich summer, and I was up there for seven weeks every summer. My parents, you know, needed to get rid of all the boys. You know, building these wonderful relationships, and on the flip side, it was having Ted Alton on steroids because, you know, gave him a free license to, you know, for five days in the woods with him, a, a, a trip you know, it was going to be five days at a time. The Allagash, I think, trip was almost a week. And there was no adult supervision other than him. So um, it was really this very strange time because it was so wonderful, but then it was also so dark. And I remember falling into the sleep in his tent with the cries from one of my friends who was abused for the first time, uh, this kid from Pennsylvania, you know, who didn't go to Pingree and, where the rest of us were like, oh, this is old hat. We've been doing this for years. It's Boy Scouts, so what are you crying about? Uh, get used to it. After the school's independent report, the survivors were each interviewed by Pingree's attorneys and insurance provider. They were questioned as to why they hadn't complained at the time to a responsible adult. So when, when they had that argument of why didn't you complain to somebody who knew, they all knew. Who were we going to complain to? Ted, you know, Ted Alton's mother-in-law was the vice principal of the school. Who are we going to complain to? We're going to complain to the administration. He was the administration. It's ludicrous to think that that we had any voice whatsoever. So finally, at you know, 50 years old, I finally have a voice. And that, for me, is what this has all been about, is giving me a voice. That's what the writing was about. That's what our conversation is about, is giving, you know, a, a boy who never had a voice in, in his home, in his family, in his school. And that's... That's what I think about. Pingree also sent a letter to the whole school community. I received one myself. In it, 
the school denied prior knowledge of its history of abuse. Ironically, this denial is ultimately what made many of the men step forward. They had understandably been reticent about being public, about reliving the worst chapter of their lives. But the letter was a punch in the face to some very strong-willed people. Is We had a, a joint call, maybe only eight of us were on that call, and we all went around and, and you know, obviously we all live all over the place. And it went on for like two hours and everybody told their stories. And, and just hearing, you know, these guys, some of them, some I didn't know, some of these guys I didn't know at all. Some of them, I remember, God, he was the guy who was my, you know, he was my uh, water ski coach at camp. And I thought he was the coolest guy, you know, and he's on the call. And, you know, and you're talking to the guy who was the captain of the, of the, the football team, this great athlete. He was on the call. But hearing everybody's stories, and it just made me so fucking sad. But I also think it's somebody that finally, for the first time for many of us in, in all these years, like people that can that we can identify with 100%. Because as much as yeah. you can explain this to your friend and, you know, your, your wife or your lover or whoever, you hear the same things like, oh, well, I hope you get closure. And well, you never get closure on this stuff. You evolve. The band of men came to New York twice. The first time, they were individually deposed. After those depositions were taken, there was a lot of stalling until the two sides agreed to discuss the matter. Pingree knew that the survivors had a strong case. Some of the survivors wanted to go to court, some didn't. We had to individually, uh, over the course of the week, tell our stories to the headmaster, uh, representatives from the Board of Trustees, Attorneys for the school, attorneys for the insurance company, representatives for the insurance company, and then our attorneys. So we're all in this room sort of reliving our story specifically. And also, we were asked to uh, write our, what they call our impact statements. How did this abuse affect your life? Is what they're trying to do is they're trying to mediate a settlement and figure out what is this case worth does this guy have a case? And I'll tell you, writing that impact statement was really, was a trauma in and of itself. Yeah, but there's similar things of depression, uh, anxiety, suicide attempts, sex addiction is huge, uh, sexual identification problems, marital discord, job failures, the list goes on. But um, so that's the kind of thing we had to talk about, which is you know hard enough to do. Uh, with our therapist, but then to do it with, in front of a people, group of people who, obviously, uh, for me, I have a target on my back because I know they all hate me because I'm the one who brought all this to fruition. In the end, Pingree settled, yes? Correct, yes. And yet, there is a thorn in the side of that settlement, one that may never be put right. The owner of Camp Waganaki, who just had the most expensive building in Pingree's history named after him. Right, 100%. That is one of the first things that was discussed uh, amongst the plaintiffs, and, and, and it's a recurring theme in all of our stories, is that how could he have not known? And, uh, you know, we, we know that one of the fathers uh, spoke to him, you know, about Ted, and everybody at the camp knew. And, and so we did, we asked, we said, have some compassion for us. You know, let's, let's do our investigation, let you do your investigation, but please don't shove it in our face and name a $60 million building after someone that let this go on. 
I'd like to quote from the letter signed by the survivors and addressed to the Pingree community after the report first came out. So in it, it's written that we hope that revealing the truth about the abuse of Pingree will serve as a first step in the healing process. Do you feel now that there have been steps taken toward your personal healing, toward the healing of the men who were those abused boys? Absolutely. I, um, but it's really about, I think, these conversations and connections between us, which has all elevated everybody else up. I, mm-hmm. I spoke to one gentleman today, who I hadn't talked to in a few months, and you know, he had written that he had moved you know, to be closer to his son. And, and so like, I know that he connects with you know, another plaintiff, so they become good friends and they travel together. And then like, this summer I spent a week in Florida with, with one guy, went to the, the Jersey Shore with another one. And I think it's those moments of that camaraderie you know, and again, I think if you look at us, a lot of us don't have strong family connections or, um, and maybe some resentment. I mean, hey, where were my parents when this was going on? The last thing I would ask is, like now, moving forward, like moving forward in your life, where this is starting to be something that you feel ready to move on from in the sense that you've had, there's no such thing as closure, but you do have a certain degree of what would you say? You know, I just hope there's one day where my you know, my kids have been through a lot because of all this. Um, and I hope there's one day where they can really sit back and reflect and say, okay, my dad's not just a bad guy. Or he did a lot of good. And maybe there's a reason now why he wasn't there or he was disconnected. You know, I don't want to be a survivor. I want to be a thriver, and I need to, and I want to move from this, and I feel good about that every single day. It's a wonderful feeling. I'd like to thank my guest, Tim Ehrlich, for his courage in sharing his story with us today. You can find out more about Tim's work to make the Pingree School and other institutions safer and healthier for children at pingreesurvivors.org. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer. Andrew Howard and Tristan McNeil are the audio engineers. And Julie Douglas is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, you can get in touch with us at listenermail at familysecretspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer and Facebook at Family Secrets Pod and Twitter at Fam Secrets Pod. That's Fam Secrets Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit dannyshapiro.com. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. 
Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 